Este ano temos um clube que se destaca na taça. Conseguiu sempre ganhar para seguir sempre em frente. Faremos o que pudermos para vencer o Sporting. Lutaremos com toda a força de um leceiro. E no estádio vamos entrar e carregar a nossa história. Yes, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast. You join us in an emotional Long Ball Football studio after that start. There's tears in the eyes uh, in our various studios. <laughs> it's absolute quality, isn't it? It's absolute gold. I want to explain to the listeners what they've just been listening to, Barney. Well, Lessa, who are playing tonight against Sporting in the Tusta Portugal quarterfinal. A huge achievement for the club. Um, massive game. Uh, they've released a music video, which is a cover of um, I Did It My Way, but they've obviously put their own words. What One thing that I've just clicked out is that obviously that's been recorded as well. It's quite a high standard. That, that was, was recorded in a professional studio, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And decent voice from the, uh, the guy as well. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I've watched this video so many times today. I, I woke up and I, and I was in bed before starting my day when I saw this video. And, you know, you know when you wake up in the morning and you're kind of, you know, oh, I'll stay in bed, got to start working an hour. By the time this video had finished, I was ready to jump out of bed and start the day. I was so motivated. Um, <laughs> I just love, I just, I love this so much. And, I don't, you know, I don't want people to think that we're trying to take the piss out of Lesser here. I mean, you know, we're, we're having a bit of gentle fun with, with what is quite, a, uh, quite an, an amusing song. But a really nice idea that they've gone, you know, this is a historic moment for the club. Um, yeah. How do we commemorate the occasion? We'll do a music video and a song. Um, we've shared the video over on our Twitter if you want to go and check it out. It's very nice. It's very sweet. If a tad cheesy. <laughs> I know that's what you want, though. Like, if I was a lesser fan, I'd be, I'd be buzzing with this. I mean, it's such a good little. Uh, it's, it just might be so happy. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> it's so good, and um, I wonder if, like, you know, before the match tonight, in the change rooms, manager deadpan, right, boys? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I've got much song. to say tonight. <laughs> you know, you know what you're doing. <laughs> 
It's fantastic. And it's a lovely message as well. The lyrics are all about what an incredible year that they've had, uh, how they're going to try so hard to win, how they're going to fight for the fans. They'll go in the stadium with pride. Uh, and, And they end on such a nice message, which is that, you know, we believe it's possible to win. But if we don't, then congratulations to sporting. It's a really, really positive message in the music video, which I'm not sure if the music video is official or fan made, by the way. But in the music video, um, on screen at the end, they have those words, fair play in football, hashtag fair play in football. But the eagle eyed amongst us have noticed, and this is my favourite detail of the video, that at the same time that they're singing this message of support for their rivals, at the same time that they've got hashtag um, fair play in football on the screen, uh, there's footage of, of the fans in the crowd and one of the fans is holding up a scarf which says Benfica is shit. <laughs> that's a great scarf I know. <laughs> it has to be homemade surely <laughs> well there, there is a serious point to be made about this game of course because as we said Lesser are going to be playing this game tonight as we're recording this so when the show comes out uh, the result will already be in but there is a serious point to be made about um, the, the state of the game because unfortunately there was some unwelcome news in the last couple of weeks which was that Leicester wouldn't be able to play the game in their own stadium which is very disappointing to hear. The The reasoning behind it was a little bit strange I have to say. Uh, essentially the stadium was assessed in advance of the game. Uh, I'm not entirely sure who by I guess it was whoever uh, runs the Tasta Portugal I think that might be the League of Portugal body. They assessed the ground and deemed it unsafe for the game. Now, I guess this is because of the number of fans they might be expecting from sporting. Maybe this is down to player safety. The lesser sporting director came out and said he really sympathised with the fans who were angry at this decision and said they did everything they could. But ultimately, they were looking at uh, a bill of five to six figures in order to get the appropriate security that they need uh, and also apparently fix some kind of lighting in the stadium. Apparently also the fact that there's two areas of the stadium which are not seated uh, was an issue as well. So the game has been moved quite a long way down the road to Passos de Ferreira. I think it's a big shame, Barney, and I have to say I was quite confused by this decision. Obviously, we're familiar in England with big cup games being held between tiny teams and big teams. You know, I even remember last year in the FA Cup when uh, Tottenham played Marine FC, a team in the eighth division, eighth division in England and Premier League side Tottenham went down and Gareth Bale even got on the pitch. And, you know, there was no suggestion of any security risks there. Everything was able to be handled. So this just does kind of take seem like a big shame and, and take a bit of shine off, off the fixture as well. Yeah, I'm absolutely gut for them because, you know, that's uh, their home ground. They'll, they'll be used to the pitch. You know, all these little things that might seem quite trivial, like actually like, you know, when it's probably one of the biggest games in your club's history. Like, you know, it's uh, every every little helps. And, um, you know, why passes to Ferreira? I mean, it, it, like you mentioned, there's, there's other stadiums closer that would have been able to host a fixture. Well, I was also thinking, how, even why not do it at Sporting, for God's sake? Like, you know, for Leicester, that could have been a great day out as well. Um, yeah, it's a day out for the fans, you know. It's a good it's a good option. So it does seem like, again, unfortunately, another example of a, a bizarre decision made by whoever's in charge of running this competition, which is a bit of a shame. I hope it doesn't ruin the game too much for the fans and the people that will be attending. I hope the players still enjoy the occasion. Um, of course, as you mentioned, you know, Sporting are probably much more used to playing in Paso de Ferreira's stadium than, than Lesser are. So definitely takes away one of the advantages that Lesser would have had Lesser would have had in their own ground. But nonetheless, you know, an incredible achievement, an incredible occasion. 
Um, we're looking forward to watching the game after we record this. Uh, and, you know, I think we're both secretly hoping for a bit of a cup upset as, you know, both of us love the underdogs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this competition looking quite interesting this season, isn't it? You know, we've got um, Porto and Sporting, obviously, one side of the of the draw of the quarterfinals, um, Sporting playing Leicester tonight and uh, Porto playing Vizela. And then tomorrow, Rio Avtondea and Porto Men's Mafra on the other side of the draw. So, you know, there's going to be a, a team in the final that's not your usual <laughs> big three or, or, or Braga. So that's really exciting and I, I'm looking forward to that. Lovely to see and a great opportunity for a new face to get their hands on some silverware this season, which which would be fantastic. Well, look, as we mentioned, by the time you listen to this show, those games have probably already happened. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about them on this show. We'll probably do a little catch up on next week's show to assess how those teams did. This show is going to be a slightly different to last week. We're going to have a slightly extended new section, what with uh, the January transfer window open and a few manager comings and goings so I think we'll start with those managerial changes Barney for this week and I think none of them stuck out more than the shock news that Lito Vidigal was going to be sacked by Morrowinds after just five games four of which ended in defeat and he was replaced by the much-traveled former Braga manager Ricardo Sarpinto now I know we've had a few laughs while Lito's been in charge of Morrowinds but I have to say I didn't really take this news very well um, and I was quite angry when when the story started to come out, not because I think Liso deserves to stay, but just because of the sheer incompetence that this shows by the people in charge of Morrowinds. I tweeted my take on the situation at the time, which was, you know, that at the end of last season, only a few months ago, literally a matter of months ago, Morrowinds ended the season in eighth place under Vasco Siebra, only one place away from a Europa Conference League opportunity. And one of the teams that I was most impressed with that season was Vasco Siabra's Morrowinds. They then let Siabra go. They employed Joao Henriquez, who had not been very successful at Vitoria or at any club really in recent in his recent time. He left them in the relegation zone and then Lito Vidigal comes in. Just the league's, probably the league's most infamous and disliked manager, who they then sack after five games and the club is still in the relegation zone. It's just so frustrating to see a club have such poor direction when there's clearly potential at this club for them to do well, as Siabra showed. And I think, you know, we're going to come on to talk about what an amazing job Siabra's doing at Maritimo this season, later on in the show. But I just think that Morens have completely thrown it away, whatever chance they had of progression or a good season, with just unambitious and bizarre managerial appointments. As a, if I was a Morrowinds fan, I'd be absolutely livid with the you know the direction the club's been taken and, and and how everything seems to be handled. I mean, I think to talk about Lito Vidigal, you know, one win in five games, uh, he, he was manager. You know, in the league, losses against Boa Vista, Tondea, Portman's, and a win against Estrel. You know, at the beginning of the season, when you saw these fixtures from these four games, you'd be won at least seven points, possibly nine. You know, and and they got they came over three. So I think, and now that there was it the eleventh of January, halfway through a transfer window. Where's the direction? Where's the planning, you know? It's an absolute shambles. And, you know, it's such a shame because, like you said, Seattle got some some of these players playing so well and it's just it's just a waste of talent. And Yeah. I, I want to read out a few tweets on this subject, Barney, because I thought there was actually quite a lot of good discussion about Morrowinds online afterwards will happen. Firstly, Marcia Pacheco, who listed all the Morrowinds managers since 2016, Barney. Now, 
get your head around this list. 2016-17 season, they had four managers, Pepper, Leandro Medes, Augusto Inacio and Petit. 2017-18, they had three managers, Manuel Machado, Sergio Vieira and Petit again. In 2018-19, only one manager, Ivo Vieira, and what a good manager we know he is, so I can understand why he lost the year. 1920, they had two managers, Vita Campelos and Ricardo Suarez. 2020-21, three managers again, Ricardo Suarez, Cesar Pastrotto and Vasco Siabra. And now this year, they're on their third manager of the season in Ricardo Sarpinto. I actually want to take it a bit further back than 2016, Barney, and look at the last 10 years. So since the 2011-12 season, 10 years ago, Morrowinds have had 20 different managers, including Sarpinto, who's just been appointed, and including Petit, who had two stints as manager. That's an average of two managers per season for the last 10 years. That is just profoundly, profoundly incompetent running of a football club. How can any player hope to make progress? How can any manager expect to progress this team with a, with a turnover of managers like that? It's just beyond belief. You know, we looked at the reasons why Siabra left at the end of last season, you know, and he's quite simply like, the direction that the club wanted to go in and his, his ambitions that he had himself. And you've got a guy who's just got you a player a couple of points off Europe <laughs> where you go, where do you want to go next season? <laughs> exactly. I'd like to go into Europe, hopefully please. And then like, <laughs> they obviously didn't want to. Well, uh, yeah. Madness, Melbourne. And it's, you know, they're in real trouble. We said that a few months ago when Elita Vidigal was employed, they are in real trouble there and they've only got themselves to play. Well, before we get into the games of the week, Barney, as we mentioned, it's the January transfer window. It's such an important time of the year. It's a time when clubs can make vital changes and additions to their squad to push on for whatever it is they're trying to achieve in the second half of the season. Unfortunately, it seems that all the news we've got to talk about this week is outgoings. There's not really many (laughs) big signings coming into the league at this time which is a bit of a shame, but there are some important transfers to talk about nonetheless. And before we get started, I think I may as well just give one big shout out at the beginning to uh, Mr. Transfers himself, Pedro Sepulveda on Twitter, who we pretty much get all our information from when it comes to transfers and seems to just be the authoritative voice on Portuguese transfer news. So, you know, big shout out to him and all of our information is coming from this guy. Let's start with the most high profile outgoing of the window so far. Not quite wrapped up at the time of us recording, but expected to go through quite soon. Of course, that's the departure of Sergio Oliveira from Porto to Jose Mourinho's Roma. Initially, that will be on loan until the end of the season, but with an option to make the move permanent for 15 million euros. Now, it's an interesting move for me because obviously Sergio is underwhelmed this season. There's no doubt about that. There was speculation about him leaving in the summer. It never happened. He quickly fell out of favour. Uh, with Sergio Constantin finds himself on the bench for most games. That said, has made one or two substitute appearances. He's filled in when there's been injuries. He's put in a couple of decent displays in the games that he has played. He scored a trademark free kick, I remember as well, to prove that he's still got that quality. But nonetheless, it has been an underwhelming season for him, especially when you compare it to the fantastic season that he had last year. This was a guy we were talking about uh, in one of in our team of the season. He was a key player in Portugal's Champions League success. He was a senior player and a leader. You know, so I guess the question is just what Sergio Oliveira will Roma get? Will they get the Sergio Oliveira from this season or the Sergio Oliveira from last season? 
I think I've seen uh, enough of him this season to know that if he's been given a run of games, you know, kept his spot in the starting eleven. I think if he gets that Roma, you're going to get a, a hell of a player. That's for sure. I think credit to him as well because when he, even though he hasn't been given his opportunities, I feel I still feel like he's he's, he's always delivered when he's played. It's interesting to me because I, I you know the, the fact that they're going to let him go out on loan. You know, why didn't you cash in on him in the, in the summer when he was at his peak in terms of uh, credibility for, you know, the, the performances he's been putting in? You know, I, a lot of people, and I've, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with them, are saying, you know, he's never going to, they're never going to exercise that um, option to buy. But who knows, he, he could go he could go over there and, and, and take us all by surprise, grab his opportunity and then secure the, the permanent transfer. It's, it's a great move for him at a personal level. I think Roma's a big club. Obviously, Mourinho's there. That would be exciting. A great chance for him to, you know, show, show people what, he, what what we know he can do. Yeah, I think the deal makes sense in terms of getting a decent transfer fee for a player who will never be worth more than what they are right now. So in that sense, they're selling the player at the right time, although perhaps six months ago would have been an even better time. But like you, I think the structure of the deal does worry me a bit just because, you know, as you mentioned, if he doesn't regain that form, if he doesn't impress, you know, he could be coming back to Porto at the end of the season, older, closer to the end of his contract and probably worth much less than he is now. So I think the structure is a little bit of a risk for me, but the player has to back himself to succeed. Uh, I think we'll, fair to say, we'll be wishing him success from afar because he's been a great player. But yeah, there's definitely risk in this transfer for me. So we're yet to see how it will pan out. Well, there were a few other rumours talked about this week. Not many made permanent. Nanu joined FC Dallas on an initial six-month loan from Porto. Uh, we've seen Abdu Conte, the very impressive left-back, linked to Estac Troy from Morarens for €3 million. Euros. Uh, and we've also seen, unfortunately for Barney, Elton Morte linked uh, to the United Arab Emirates in a move away from Porto Menendez. I think one of the one of the moves we're going to talk about, which is a confirmed move though, Barney, just quickly, is John Murillo, who left Tondela to join Atletico San Luis in Mexico. Um, and it's one I wanted to mention because I think it could be quite easily overlooked. You know, this is not a real household name player, but this is a very, very important player from Tondela, and he leaves after playing for the club for six and a half years. In that time, he played 172 games and get this, 11,777 minutes and scoring 22 goals. Those stats are from Tondela on Twitter, by the way. So I just think it's rare that you see a player sticking around at a smaller club in Portugal like that, especially a non-Portuguese player, which is what's so interesting. And he's been such a key player for them for so many years, always a decent performer, you know, often at the heart of the good results that they do yet get. Um, I don't think he's ever got more than 10 goals in the season, but he's always scored a good amount of goals for the club. And I think he's a player that will be missed. Um, and I think, again, similar to what we mentioned in Sergio, Sergio Oliveira's transfer, this just seems like the right time to sell the player when he's only got six months left on his deal and they're getting a 1 million euro transfer fee. Uh, only 50% of that goes to Tondela and 50% goes to Genfica, but a very decent cash injection that will be important for the club for a player whose contract was was nearly up anyway. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's I think that's quite a significant fee for for him. Um, I've always absolutely loved him. I think he's, I think it's the consistency hour, isn't it? You know, uh, quite regularly he'll pop up with a goal or assist or, or, or get a penalty or whatever. He's, he's yeah, he's an amazing player for Tondea. Closer to home for him as well, you know, he, he, he'll probably you know, looking at the Venezuelan national team. So yeah, um, best locked him, but uh, a real shame for me. I'm pretty good. He was in my fantasy team. He was a 
he was a it was a good player for me. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, all outgoings this week, but throughout the January transfer window, we'll be starting the show with a little transfer update, and hopefully uh, in the coming weeks, we'll have some juicy incomings to be talking about, as well as uh, all the players being pinched to go and play abroad from the Portuguese league. Right, well, let's get stuck into this week's games from the Primera Liga. And it's not often that we get to talk about one of the big three losing to teams other than each other. Benfica are the only other team to have done it this year. But now it is the turn of Sporting, who took a humbling 3-2 defeat at the hands of Santa Clara in the Azores. Uh, The game started all to plan for Sporting. They went 1-0 up uh, with a rare goal from Polina. But in my opinion, it took them far too long to take seriously the threat that Santa Clara posed. And perhaps they never fully did as Santa Clara twice came from behind to level the game before grabbing a winner in the 76th minute and earning all three points against the reigning champions. It was goals from Jean-Patrick, Lincoln and Ricardinho, which cancelled out Sporting's goals from Palino and Sarabia. And I know, Barney, that you are just going to be chomping at the bit to talk about the Santa Clara side because they were so impressive. They really, really were. And I think I was expecting Santa Clara to try and keep 10 men behind the ball. But what I thought was brilliant was that they managed it with their their four defenders, the two defensive midfielders in front of them, Marita and Anderson Cavallio, just protected that back line so well. They didn't have to throw everyone behind the ball. And it was just such a good performance. And, you know, I wrote off the Santa Clara's defence at the beginning of the season. You know, Cardozo had left, but in a way, they got a long-term injury. And then in, in this game, I thought Kennedy Boateng had one of probably his best games for Santa Clara. He was, he was brilliant at the back. I thought the full-backs Manchester at left-back, I've always liked him. He, he was good. And Sanya at right-back as well. They just excelled in this game. And then Sanya obviously providing that inch-perfect cross for the first equaliser. It was a, 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 a completely fantastic performance. And, and it wasn't a defensive, well, nick a lucky goal that I expected a Santa Clara sporting result to be it was a, a really really good performance well they outscored their opponents which is what was most impressive and I think their attacking players deserve so much credit none more so of course than than Lincoln uh, and I think Lincoln's a name that people have heard a lot this season I'm sure from a lot of people but I think we've all got to start really paying attention to him and I've written down Barney that this is the game where Lincoln came of age because last year he kind of showed real flashes of his promise he wasn't a regular player uh, at the start of this season, he kind of showed in patches what he was capable of, but not necessarily in every game. Uh, but in this game, sure, certainly he showed that he is really a player capable of performing on a really big stage. You know, he he was playing against a team who won the league last season, a team that play in the Champions League this year, uh, and he was comfortably the best football player on the pitch. And I think... Him alongside Jean-Patrick, you know, both players in this game got a goal and assist each. Jean-Patrick with, in my opinion, one of the best headed goals you'll see all season. Um, but I think of those two players, Lincoln especially for me was was the one who who was just outstanding in this game. That's a great way of describing it, coming of age performance. I think what he's done getting to this point is he's just having far more influence on games and controlling things from the field. I think we're seeing him occupy deeper spaces um, looking forward more and playing playing balls into space like you know that's how the first goal came about it's just a, 
a ball I didn't see, think was on and suddenly played it and, uh, and got Santa Clara right up the pitch. He's a, he's a really exciting talent, Albert. And and I'm going to compare, compare him to Mateus Nunes, Albert, because I think Mateus Nunes' weakness is that he can go very quiet in games. I feel like he's great at moving with forward with the ball, but apart from that, he doesn't really help the sporting team get out of the pitch. Lincoln is the complete opposite. You know, he can he can do everything. He can bring wingers into play. He can bring fullbacks into play and play balls over the top because Rui Costa, I, the striker for Santa Clara, I've never liked him. I think he looks way too small to be a striker. But like, you know, imagine him coming up against Quattis. But what? So what does Lincoln do? He plays balls into space, let him run, let him run onto things. It was just a, a, a fantastic performance. I loved his finish as well. I think that was a, a, a far trickier ball to put away than it might appear. You compare Matos Nunes to Lincoln, but I think you know the the image for me that summed up Matos Nunes in this game was uh, with Ricardinho with the third goal when he's running, sprinting to get into the box to get on the end of a cutback, and you see Matos, you know, and he's completely unmarked. And then you just see Matthias Nunes kind of jog into screen behind him, not really making the effort to catch up with him. And I think that kind of summed up the game. Look, Matthias Nunes had a great season. We praised him a lot for sporting just a few weeks back. And, and, and he, you know, he's a fantastic player, but he didn't have his best game, as did any of the sporting players, really. So I'm interested to ask, Barney, where you think the issue is laid for sporting. You know, I mentioned that I didn't think they took Santa Clara seriously because I don't think they defended well enough after going ahead both times they conceded after going ahead twice which is not really acceptable you know and as I mentioned that goal that that one for Santa Clara Ricardinho just running into the box pretty much untracked so for me I just think there was a lack of uh, professionalism and defensive urgency and you know for a team that sort of pride themselves last season especially and at the beginning of the season of winning the easy games just winning without you know hiccups really you know, I think this was an uncharacteristic hiccup, but one that they're going to have to have to accept. Oh, for me, they've got the best defence in the league. And then like, I think you're right to say that they just didn't take the threat seriously. I thought, I've got it etched into my mind now, but this guy who's just not picking up John Patrick for that first league, like, it just it just did not do him any favours. It was, it was horrendous. And yeah, a big thing for me, Albert, is I do think Amarin not being on the touchline had a had an impact one way or another. Whether it, I felt the substitutions became way too slow, way too late. Brancaster should have gotten the field a lot earlier for me. I think that was e- e- evident. I, I feel like that's an easy thing to say when we we talk about sporting sometimes when they when they have seemed to struggle against defenses. But he needs to get on way earlier. Usually Amarin's got a trick up his sleeve. They, they've got an answer, but this time he didn't. It was probably too little, too late, as you say, Barney. Because although the third goal would have been disheartening for Sporting. It was only scored in the 76th minutes with 15 minutes still to play. And yet they didn't come up uh, with an answer. It's a, a slightly worrying situation for me because at one point, at some point in the season, you know, someone's going to, you're going to trip up. Last season for Sporting, it was nearer the end of the season and they, and they had done enough already to, to keep that gap. Obviously now in this situation, they're neck and neck with Porto. We're going to have to see how things pan out because this is, this is a real... I want to say stumbling block in their in their momentum. You know, they had the neck and neck race. Now they're chasing, and it it's really put the pressure on. It's a very different dynamic, isn't it, from leading the packs and then chasing the leaders. So it'll be interesting to see how how their mindset changes. Uh, and if Porto slip up, will they be able to to capitalise? Um, just a couple more things on this game, Barney. There was an incident at the end of the game, uh, a red card for Daniel Braganza. What did you make of the incident? Because there was a lot of kind of upset on Twitter about, you know, obviously a lot of supporting fans felt that it was unjust. Maybe some other similar decisions in other games didn't get the same red card. 
what did you think? Because for me, I have to say, in trying to speak objectively and fairly, looking at the replays that they show, maybe this, maybe the slow mo does kind of exaggerate it a bit, but. I did think it looked nasty, so I wasn't that disappointed with the on-field decision. I thought it was probably the right call. Yeah, I don't think it was intentional. I think he was trying to get his bo- his foot around the ball to sort of protect it. And it, but you know, if studs going in the ankle, it's got to be a red, isn't it? And that's I'm, I was gutted for him, you know, because like when he came on, we started to see what happens when Rakans comes on. You know, a few nice touches, a few key passes. We're going to miss him next game now, and it's unfortunate, but it, it definitely was a red. Yeah, absolutely. And just lastly, Barney, after the game, of course, Santa Clara presented their new manager, Mario Silva, formerly of Rio Ave. Uh, now, Santa Clara have obviously had a very difficult season so far. They could be set for quite a few departures in this window too. Um, incredibly, we saw Jean Patrick, one of the heroes of this game, really sold less than 24 hours after the game ended to a Japanese club. We've heard the rumours that Marita will be off. Um, but he will certainly be encouraged by that performance, but nonetheless, a difficult job that he's got on his hands. It's a really interesting situation. I think we could see a lot of outgoings and incomings with Santa Clara this transfer window. John Patrick's looked so good in recent weeks. He's, he's been one of the players that has stepped up because, um, you know, I felt like their attacking options were quite limited, but he's, he's been pressed. I was, I was sad to see him go. Um, but yeah, it's a, a really important moment for Santa Clara. I mean, keeping Lincoln's got to be the priority. If there's someone who's going to keep you up, if there's a, if it's a talisman, he, he's their man. Well, let's move on and talk about another game, Barney. And I think it is appropriate that we talk about Estoril versus Porto next because Porto were the team hoping to capitalise on Sporting slip-up. And for a while during this game, it was possible that we were going to be seeing two of the big three lose against smaller opposition for the first time in a very long time because Estoril, credit to them, raced into a 2-0 lead at half-time. But of course, as we know, Porto turned it around in the second half to take all three points. There's an awful lot to talk about in this game, Barney. I'll let you kick off. Where do you want to start with this one? Well, I think what I want to start is obviously the the story surrounding this game during the build-up with, you know, Estra wanting to postpone it because of um, uh, the number of players they had out with COVID. Porto and the league and Estra had a chat. They couldn't come to agreement. I think Estra wanted to put it back um, a few weeks when um, there were cup games going on that neither of the clubs were involved in. Porto have declined it because of uh, they would have a number of players out on international duty during that week. So um, it's ended up going ahead. And I think the only reason that Estoril were able to field the team that they had done is because recently in Portugal, the rule, like here in the UK, of um, isolation has gone from 10 days to seven days. When you look on paper, Estoril's team looks like they're one of their strongest teams, right? But what you can't forget is that there's going to be players involved in that who wouldn't have been training for the week. You know, they, mm. they, they, they were at a disadvantage. And so, yeah, how, how well that they they started this game was a, a real surprise to me. And they were absolutely, um, absolutely fantastic. They had a phenomenal, phenomenal first half. They showed Porto from the beginning that they were going to be a real threat. You know, Chiquinho had the ball in the back of net about half an hour in. Obviously, that goal was ruled out for offside, but it did show that this was a team that was going to be dangerous. And, you know, they got a bit of luck for their first goal. It was obviously a hefty deflection, which took that shot over the keeper. But you can't deny that they didn't deserve it, as they had been the better team for me throughout the first half. And I think, uh, and the penalty incident that led to the second goal pretty much, for me, summed up how the game had been going up to that point. Chiquinho, with a brave, positive run into the Porto box, 
and Wendell with a rash, poorly timed tackle, which brought him down and conceded the pen. You know, that moment for me really epitomised the first half and where both those teams were. And as you quite rightly said, looking at that first half, you would never have believed that it was Estoril who were the team who had had such a disrupted preparation for the game with so many cases because Porto just looked very rusty. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Wendell there. That's going to be really interesting. Obviously, Snooze is away for the Africa Cup of Nations now. So Wendell's really going to have to step up. I don't think we've quite seen the best of him yet. I think he's he's taken, he's, it looks like he's taking a bit of time to settle in Portugal. And the other uh, wing back spot, uh, you know, Krona filling at right back this game. You know, he, we, we're probably going to see more of him with the injuries they've got there. And he, once again, he didn't look, he looked like a player who hadn't had much, much game time this season as well. I think they obviously have an issue with fullbacks. And I think. It's funny that both goals in the first half you can trace back to a fullback mistake. The penalty, the obvious one, because it was Wendell's foul. But in my opinion, even that first goal, if you go back and watch it, that goal comes because of very poor defending from Corona, who was playing at right back. He fails to deal with this very speculative crossfield ball just inside Porto's half. It really messes that up and it allows Artur to run at goal and get his shots away. And ultimately, that was what uh, led to the first goal. Look, of course... We know the end result. We know that Porto won 3-2. And we have to say that everything changed in the second half because, in my opinion, we saw a different Porto side come out of that dressing room. I can only imagine the dressing down that Sergio Contessao gave his team at halftime. I would love to have been in there just to witness that. But they were much improved on the first half. They seemed to escape from that kind of shell-shocked state that they'd been in since uh, Estoril had that first goal ruled out. You know, that seemed to really rock them. And they managed to kind of get out of that mindset. They, man- they began to dominate the game. They really peppered the Estoril goal with chances. Uh, and of course, with players of the quality that they have, you know, you're bound to get goals from the number of chances that they had. Taremi bundled one in early doors. And then you just start to see Luis Diaz come alive. He as well, you know, to be fair, we talked about Estoril having a disrupted build-up to the week. Luis Diaz himself had, had missed games from with COVID. So, you know, he looked rusty in the first half, but blew away the cobwebs uh, in the second, tore it up on that left-hand side of midfield, as we've come to expect from him. And Porto's second and third goals both came from his runs down the left-hand box. The first was his lovely finish, really, really done well to get into the box and score that goal. And of course, the third uh, was a great work from him on the left wing, a ball into the six-yard six box for Chico Consasal to bury. We've got to talk about those scenes after the goal, Barney. Obviously, you know, the team are going nuts. The fans are going nuts. Everyone's celebrating what they think will be a last-minute winner to make it 3-2. And in the middle of it, you've got Chico Consasal, who was brought on in the 87th minute and scored the winner in the 89th, celebrating with his dad. Wonderful scenes. And I think you have to give credit to to Porto for the second half that they had. The celebrations were great. I think it was... You know, everyone's talking about how heartwarming it was seeing Conchisau and Chico Conchisau embrace, and that it absolutely is. I, I love it. Yeah, I think the key to their comeback, Albert, was in this game, it was so clear, wasn't it? There was a real, real shift in the momentum. And I think Porto are able to do that. I think Conchisau is able to shift the gear up. You, you mentioned all their players doing that um, on the pitch. And, you know, there were a few substitutions. But I didn't really feel like it was the substitutions that made the difference. I really just felt like it was the, the, the starting eleven really taking um, taking responsibility for the situation they got themselves in. Um, I mean, Diaz, yeah, absolutely unreal. 
And I think this is the most sorry I felt for a right back in a game. <laughs> I mean, the guy just had no chance and he was left alone more often than not. They weren't doubling up. It was just like, yeah, uh, it, it's just the pace, man. The pace is like... And the <laughs> strength on. as well, that combination. Oh, during the game, we were texting, weren't we? And I was sort of questioning why Evan Nilsson was given a place back in the eleven. I think Fabio Vieira might have been... A better shout, but um, it all, it all worked out, and um, it's a, a really, really important win. I know Estoril have had, we've been talked about their bad run of form, you know, but they're still up, and you know, they're up there that this end of the table for a reason. We saw it in the first half, so this was a, is a f- fantastic turnaround for Porto. Yeah, and absolutely, absolutely vital that Porto won this game after Sporting slipped up. They had to take all three points and take that top spot. So, so credit to them for doing that. I think there is an elephant in the room here, though, Barney, and. The one key thing that we haven't discussed is the Estoril third goal that was ruled out by the ref. Now, this came from a corner into the box, which was headed in by Rui Fonte. And at this point, Estoril were 2-1 ahead. And, you know, you sense, obviously, we can only speculate, but the difference that that goal would make to put them 3-1 ahead would have really put a kind of stopper on the game, perhaps. But the referee blows his whistle for a foul in the box on Evan Nielsen. Now, my issue with, with what happened is not the referee's decision in the first place. Obviously, if a player goes down, I can understand perhaps him blown for the foul. My issue is that upon viewing the replay, this is so clearly not a foul, right? And, 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 and at this point, you just think, okay, it's fine because we've got VAR, right? They'll just have a look at it and clear up the situation. But they didn't even look at it. That's what I didn't understand. There was no pause. There was no check. There was no going to the monitor. The goal was just instantly ruled out. And unfortunately, I have to say, and, you know, you know, I know a lot of big three fans get a bit touchy and they don't like people criticising their team. You know, I, I'm just trying to come at this from the fairest point that I can. But my honest opinion in the situation is that Estoril were robbed of a fair third goal. And, you know, I think they had a real chance to get something from this game. You said it at the beginning of, at the beginning of our discussion. I don't think either team deserved to lose this game. I think that's my assessment. I think 3-3 with that fair goal being allowed would have been the fair result. Um, And it leaves a sour taste in the mouth. You know, I said it on Twitter, full credit to Porto for the second half that they had and full credit to them for scoring three goals, three very good goals in what was a very difficult game. But unfortunately, I just think that Estival deserved to have that third goal. And I think 3-3 would have been the fair result. Well, let's quickly wrap up the big three by talking about Benfica's game, Barney. 2-0, they beat Passos at home. Uh, Now, on the surface, there's not loads to talk about in this game, but I think there are a couple of interesting things here. Uh, Obviously, with this being Verissimo's only second game in charge, it was always going to be interesting to see what he did with the team uh, and how they responded to that defeat against Porto. And what we got, I think, was a much-changed side, uh, both in terms of formation and personnel. He went to a 4-4-2 with a centre-back partnership of Otamendi and Morato, and a strike partnership of Severic and Gonzalo Ramos, which was notable for the absence of Darwin, of course, who only started the game on the bench. The end result, of course, was a victory, not a perfect performance by any means. There were some sloppy moments, but a 2-0 win at home is a solid enough result. Uh, and I wonder what you made of the game, Barney, and, and those changes that, that Verissimo made to the team. On the formation now, but I think it's it's funny, isn't it? Because Jorgezu started with a four four two formation that, that two seasons ago, but this looks like the right fit. Grimaldo, Gilberto, the fullbacks, I think, look look really good in, in a back four. 
Everton. Uh, he had an excellent game. Some really skillful moments from him. So yeah, I think it was it was a it was a positive. It was a really positive change, I think, and a, and a good performance, Benfica. Obviously, important to win the game, bounce back from the defeat against Porto, uh, and some good individual performances in the Benfica side. Two of the players that I wanted to mention really uh, are Gonzalo Ramos and Everton. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos, man, this guy just cannot catch a break. You know, he, he must be so frustrated <laughs> at, at the end of this game not to be on the score sheet because he had an amazing chance in the first half, which he made for himself. You know, with a great touch to round the pass defender and somehow managed to hit the bar. Uh, he also had a hand in the first goal. It, it was his shot which forced the keeper save and deflected into the path of Jamaro for a tap-in. So I think he'll feel unlucky not to really have scored that one. Um, and I just hope that he, he kind of keeps his confidence up because I think if Verissimo is going to be giving him more minutes and believing in him, I think this display, while he didn't get the goals this time, I think it did show that he can be an important striker from Benfica and, you know, I think it showed that he's got the ability to play at this level. Um, and the one last thing on Gonzalo Ramos, which I just thought was really nice to see, was at the end of the game, um, Seferovic was the one who you know had his arm around his shoulder and seemed to be having a really serious conversation with him. You can only imagine that, you know, what Seferovic was saying was, you know, to keep working hard, keep going uh, and keep trying because, the you know, the commitment's there, the work rate's there. And if he keeps working hard, the goals will come. Yeah, he was just really unlucky, wasn't he? He, he, sh- he shows some real class. What I like, I feel like he's just that skill he's got that it just makes him stand out for me ahead of some of the other strikers that Benfica have got in the books. Paolo Bernardo as well, um, getting on. I think you know, we'll, we'll I think we'll certainly see more of that under Verismo. But hey, Jao Murray had a great game in the field this time. I think he was much more influential. Uh, you know, we haven't really seen that much uh, recently, but he, he was good as well. Yeah, it was good to see him back up to the form that he showed at the beginning of the season. And the last player that I wanted to mention, Barney, was was Everton, because uh, as you alluded to at the beginning, I thought he had a fantastic game on the left side of midfield. He looked very dangerous. He looked very confident. Um, and I think it would be great if he was someone that benefited from, from George Jesus' departure. You know, we know that George Jesus had an adverse effects on some players. We've, you know, we've heard the interviews with Pedrinho. So I think if Everton can kind of turn a corner now that JJ's gone and and fulfil his potential. I think that would be fantastic, not just for him, but also it would be great for Benfica to have an asset like him, especially after the money that they that they invested in him. Well, let's talk about Passos Barney. Look, you kind of expect that they're going to go to the Estadio de Luz and, and not really get a result. And, and going down to 10 men uh, wouldn't have helped. It's a bit of a shame because they've had a, a positive couple of games under Cesar Pachotto, but... In this game, despite a better second half, I thought they didn't really make that good of a show of themselves. No, and the red card wouldn't have helped. I, I felt like that was a little bit harsh, but um, I can understand why it's, it was given. The only thing I, I had to say really on them is that I was just so happy to see Mohamed Diaby back. He, he's been my, one of my favourite players of Pastor Ferrer, a big French midfielder, but really classy and skillful. I think he was probably their best player when he when he eventually got on the pitch and... um. Yeah, I, I think uh, he's had a long injury, so it's great to see him back. Well, let's move outside of the big three, Barney. Uh, and one game that we absolutely have to speak about is Gil Vicente 3, Vittoria 2. Um, I would like to stake my claim for this being one of the best games of the season so far. Now, you won't hear loads about it because it doesn't involve any of the big three. And it was hidden away at 8.15pm on a Monday night. But for anybody like us, who had a feeling that this would be a great game because of the two games in it, 
you were proved absolutely correct. It was an outstanding game of football. It was full of everything that a game of football needs. Good football played by well-coached teams. Well, one team at least. Exciting players playing at the peak of their powers. A healthy amount of drama and controversy. And just a fantastic advert, in my opinion, for why Premier League offers a good spectacle of football, as you will find anywhere in Europe, including games outside of the Big Three. Now, Gilles Vicente were obviously stars of this game. And for 80 minutes of the match, they looked completely dominant and quite frankly, schooled Vittoria. They were relentlessly attacking. They knew Vittoria were weak at the back and they completely battered them. They put them under constant pressure. They broke quickly. They ran at the defenders. The Vittoria defenders, quite honestly, I thought looked scared. And they should have been really because they could not handle what Gilles Vicente threw at them. Now, I think, there were a few key players for Gilles Vicente, and I do want to talk about them one by one because they all deserve a little bit of attention. Fran Navarro Barney, the, the star striker, scored two goals to take his tally up to 11 for the season. He's now only behind Darwin Nunes and Luis Diaz as the league's top scorers. Uh, and he did what he did best, picking up important goals that weren't incredible finishes or anything like that, but just being in the right place at the right time to score easy goals. It's something we've seen a lot from him this season. I think is um was it his first one? He just he was rifled it in at the near post top corner. I th- that yep. was a hell of a finish, man. That was that was that's that true. was no that's easy. Fair. That, that's, that's fair. He's, he's so good, Albert. And I think what's good, you know, we can compare Victoria in their troubles of having a striker. You know, obviously a stupid and wasn't playing in this game. They didn't go over a, a, a sort of known striker in their in their starting eleven. I think this is a hell of a win for Gil Vicente. And we can look at their performances recently against Sporting and say, you know, oh, they didn't put in much of a showing, you know, they're, they're pretty poor. But these, this is the game, I would, you know, Vittorio Guimaraes are exactly the sort of team that they want to be emulating. They want to be putting down a marker. And for them to come away with three, two winners, it's, it's absolutely dream stuff. And, and they completely deserve it. And like you said, the 80 minutes, they really did school Vittorio Guimaraes. And it was, uh, it was, yeah, man, I, I love these two teams and I love this game. This is a hell of a game. It's a fantastic game. Don't worry, we are going to come on to talk about Pretoria, but I think we just have to make sure we give some props to the players that deserve from Gilles Vicente. The other one, of course, Barney, a name that people will know by now if they listen to this show. Uh, Fujimoto, definitely a candidate for man of the match for me. I think Navarro took that because of his goals, but everything went through Fujimoto in this game. He was so important for Gilles Vicente in their quick breaks, running with the ball. He pushes the team up the pitch so well. He turns defence into attack so quickly, and that's so crucial for Gilles Vicente's game, either with him running with the ball or passing the ball forward. Uh, he was substituted off before the end of the game, and the fans gave him a standing ovation, which was just absolutely brilliant to see. We've come to expect big things from him at this point whenever we watch him play. He's, a, he's such 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 a good player. I think he's got that was his 50th game for Gilbert Sente, actually. So, you know, he's been there a little while. Um, he's really evolved this season, um, coming into his own. I thought um the winger as well, uh, Mario on loan from Braga. You know, he, he had a couple of chances he might maybe should have put away, but yeah, two. <laughs> he should have short, he should have scored twice. But uh, you know, that's what works so well with the way they you know he's he's left footed, so he comes inside Sammy Lever's right foot, he comes inside, it just caused them so many problems. And I thought uh, Z Carlos right back as well had a really good game, you know. Um, and the other player, the, the guy who got the Fergo, Luetti, um, last season when the Gilbert said they were basically pretty average, you know, mid table stuff, he looked like a winger who was, 
he was he was contributing. He was exciting. He's got lots 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 of pace. Obviously, he's lost his spot in the team this season, but he has contributed. And I think this is at least his second goal of the season coming off the bench. And you know, the point I was trying to make earlier is like, you know, this is such a good marker for Gil Vicente. You know, see how they pit their wits against Vittorio Gomez, and they were yeah, head and shoulders, head and shoulders above them. And quick, and just quickly on YouTube, Barney. Uh... I just love the way he celebrated his goal. He gets bonus points for me for running straight down towards the cameras, looks down the lens and does a few press-ups. Lovely bit of silliness uh, to celebrate the goal. Let's talk about Pretoria, Barney, of course. Very much a bad day at the office. We have seen some signs of progress from them this season under Pepper. But I think this game just really highlighted the big, big weaknesses that still exist in that squad. The same weaknesses that we've highlighted all season. Uh, primarily in defence, where they really are just not good enough at this point in time. The defence, as I mentioned earlier, were terrorised in this game. Quite honestly, they looked vulnerable every single time that Gil Vicente attacked. Uh, and if it wasn't for one or two remarkable saves from Varela, I think they might even have lost by more goals than they did. Unfortunately, I think Borevkovic is not the centre-back that perhaps we hoped he would be when he was signed from Rio Ave. Um, he just doesn't look like an upgrade on Moomin or Fernandez, which is what they very much needed uh, in midfield. I think they were poor. Andre Andre started the game for his experience, but he was very, very easily overrun by Gil Vicente's youthful, energetic midfield three. Uh, he was hooked in the second half for Jombier, who controlled the game a little bit better. And it does pay me to criticise him, Barney, but Andre Almeida, who we've praised so much uh, over the season, over the couple of seasons that he's played, he had a very poor game. I thought he'd lost the ball too easily on a number of occasions, which is uncharacteristic for him. And look, overall, as you mentioned, Gil Vicente played pretty much how Vittoria wished they were playing at this point in time. I wanted to talk about Charisma at the end of the game. Mm. I'd, and seeing those scenes because it's really interesting. I think if anybody can see it, there's a you know there's I think there's a video going around on Twitter. A lot of angry Victoria Degree Irish fans talking to Kresma at the end of the game. The police and the sort of some of the staff tried to pull him away, but he refuses and has has the conversation with these really um, angry looking fans. And I think that was absolutely brilliant from him. It just shows you know lets the fans know you're listening because he he's clearly not happy. But I think what they've got to understand is, you know, they are a team in a very transformative phase. A lot of young players coming on in this game and a lot of older players like Craig are coming to not being able to influence things. It was a it's a really difficult situation. And I think full full respect for Charisma for taking that situation on. Yeah, 100%. He was a leader in that moment, I think. Uh, and I think the fans probably would have appreciated one of the players taking responsibility uh, for the loss. You know, the way we're talking about the game, Barney, p- people probably get the impression that Vittoria lost 3-0 rather than 3-2. So we do have to talk about the fact that they obviously got two goals back. Uh, two goals inside the last 10 minutes of the game, which is quite interesting. Uh, they got a lot of confidence from the first goal they got in the 79th minute and they definitely improved their performance once they had that bit of momentum. Um, I thought the first goal scorer, Nelson Deleuze, was one of the very few positives from them this game. Uh, a 23-year-old Angolan striker, he signed from Primero de Agosto in Angola in 2020. He made his debut for the senior team in this game, coming on as a substitute after only really playing with the B team. And I thought he looks like a very decent player. You know, he's traditionally more of an attacking midfielder or winger, but he came on and played uh, played up front, kind of through the middle, and scored his goal very well. I thought it was a very, very accomplished finish. So, you know, with the issues that Victoria have had up front, I would be intrigued to see more of him in the upcoming games. And of course, Marcus Edwards-Barney, he came on at the same time as Deleuze and Jean-Vierre 
when Vittoria were 2-0 down. They, all three of those were tasked with changing the game. And I think, to be fair to Pepper, all three of those substitutions did their bit. Deleuze with his goal, jean I thought, controlled the midfield a bit more. Uh, and Edwards, who earned and scored the penalty to make it 3-2 after a trademark solo run that forced Jean Vicente defender into a pretty rash challenge in the box. Of course, it did end badly for Marcus, who was then sent off for a second yellow card offence in the 89th minute. And that sending off really kind of killed Vittoria's momentum because you felt there was an opportunity for them to get an equaliser uh, at that moment. But uh, at the end of the day, I do think the win was totally justified for Gil Vicente. And I think it would have been unfair for them to go home with anything other than three points. I do think that um, Edwards and Deleuze probably should have started in this game. I think that would have helped them. But, um, and I also think that yellow card, that second year, was really harsh for Edwards. That's, mm. that's going to cost them the next game. So, yeah, unfortunate for them. The headline still, like you said, Gil Vicente. They are the team this season, aren't they? If you need convincing to watch Gil Vicente uh, in their next game, this is it because they are really, really a fantastic set. A fantastic team. And I have to say, what an advert for Portuguese football this was. You know, we talk so much about how there's good teams, good players, good managers and exciting football to be found outside of the big three. Uh, and this was just such a fantastic example of that. Well, look, it's been a rampant show this weekend. Me and Barney have been recording for about an hour and a half. So I think we're going to have to wrap it up for this week. We didn't get around to talking about Porto Menens 1, Maritimo 2. What a fantastic game that was. Uh, a game that we recommended uh, to people as a game to watch. So, you know, we just like an opportunity to pat ourselves on the back. Definitely go and watch the highlights of that if you've not already. But yeah, we will wrap it up there for this week. Just quickly before we go, Barney, we'll do what we always do uh, and recommend some of our now famous Game of the Week recommendations, seeing as they are, are so successful in our predictions. Um, it's got to be Braga Marito on Saturday. Talks about Marito being so good on the Sierra. I think that's going to be a really good game. And I think um, I recommend anyone watch, going to watch that to see what, um, what he's doing at the moment. And if you're looking for a game involving the big three, I would definitely recommend Sporting versus Vizela on Sunday. Vizela, a team not to be underestimated, a team that played some fantastic football. Uh, and Sporting will be looking to bounce back, of course, from that defeat against Santa Clara. Well, look, we'll leave it there for this week. We just want to say thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you wanted to leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. See you next week.